Now they're making Ghostbusters with only women. What's going on? Shut up and sit down. We will respond with that timeless creed that sums up the spirit of a people. Yes, we can. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on Earth. I know the human being and fish can coexist peacefully. Read my lips. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. I love the poorly educated. We're the smartest people. We're the most loyal people. That man is on fire this week. It's <laughs> hilarious if it wasn't the president of the United States. Oh, rogue killers and Pocahontas and horse faces and woof. It, we, that's it's even, a good one. He met with Kanye. Oh, so good. So many juicy little tidbits. Because that's all we're really interested in now. Right, guys? Woof. <laughs> Anyways, welcome back, guys. It's Barstool Politics. I am your host, Nick McGuire. Joined, as always, by Dr. Bill Muck from North Central College and Dr. Phil Barker from Keats, uh, Keene State College. Hi, guys. Hey, Nick. Hey, hey Nick. Hey. Uh, before we get started, shameless plugs. Uh, if you guys like the podcast, have questions, comments, beer suggestions, uh, just want to know what we're up to, um, the stupid memes that we put out there, follow us on Twitter at Barstool Paul, P-O-L, Facebook at Barstool Politics, the podcast you can find on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music. Uh, most of you are on iTunes, uh, so definitely review us, uh, share us, um, like us through there. You can't like. I always say like, and I, I don't know why. Because you can't do that. There's no like button on there. They should there. add that. They should add that. I don't know why. Um, did I miss any of the other things? I feel like that's iTunes? it. iTunes? Is that what we were just talking about? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but then... Uh, <laughs> It's literally the last thing I said, and I, I couldn't remember. I thinking about that like button. <laughs> um, for all of our regular listeners, as well as our new ones, uh, we also partnered with the great people over at Predict It, which is a real money uh, political prediction market. Uh, you can think of it as a uh, stock, uh, stock market for politics where you can buy and sell shares in future events. Um, super fun. Uh, we try and use it for every episode to see what people are thinking, um, where we could potentially make a little bit of money off of it. Uh, what's great for our listeners, though, is uh, Barstool Politics listeners who use the uh, promotional link when opening up a new account will receive up to a $20 match on their first deposit. So if you open up a $20 account, they will match that $20. Uh, so just use the promo link, predicted.org slash promo slash Barstool Paul 20. Uh, and get your free money and definitely check it out. It's super fun. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks, Predict It. Yes. You guys are awesome. The closer we get to midterms, the more fun Predict It becomes. Oof. I hope they put some of the stuff we're going to talk about tonight on there. So there are so many. We were trying to figure out the best way to talk about things this week, and we realized there were just too many good things. Um, so we're going to do all speed rounds this week. Speed rounds. It's going to be interesting to say the least so seven speed round seven topics. speed rounds and considering we'd never pay attention to the bell for the speed rounds it's pretty much going to be like a regular episode anyways so stay tuned for that it'll be super fun remember the, the first episodes we did when we would just ramble for an hour and a half yeah that was, yeah it's gonna be tonight again <laughs> um yeah but we 
weird uh, geopolitics stuff going on. So we might as well talk about uh, rogue killers rogue, and assassination. Killers, that's squad. the way to start Saudi Arabia. So, so last week we briefly discussed the murder of Jamal Khashoggi, a well-known Saudi Arabian journalist and Washington Post columnist. To remind you, Mr. Khashoggi entered the Saudi consulate in Istanbul, Turkey, and never left. Turkey alleges that the Saudi uh, that Saudi Arabia sent agents to Turkey to kill and dismember Khashoggi with a bone saw. A bone saw, Nick. That's what you need for bones. Apparently, the guy flew to Turkey with a bone saw. How, like, can you check that? That's you can't. How do you do that? Anyway, <laughs> continue. Right. Well, we can talk about that. Turkey has diplomatic immunity. What? Can I? Can I please check my bone saw? <laughs> Jeez, that's terrible. <laughs> All right. Saudi Arabia says it has no idea what you're talking about, and maybe he just got lost. It's uh, <laughs> just wandering the yes. halls for the past week. This has turned into a major test for the U.S. administration, as many around the world are calling on Trump to condemn his good buddy Saudi Arabia. Trump has been reluctant to do so, citing the billions we receive in arms sales from the Saudis. Saudi Arabia has also made it clear that if any sanctions are imposed on them, they will respond and the price of oil will skyrocket. After speaking with King Solomon of Saudi Arabia on Monday, Trump had a new theory saying, quote, It sounded to me like maybe these could have been rogue killers. <laughs> God. Bill, this is a complex little situation between Saudi Arabia, Turkey, and the United States, and rogue killers. Um, is the Trump administration up to this diplomatic challenge? Oh. Where's the bell? Yeah, it's 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 there. <laughs> Just go. <laughs> do do the thing. Yeah. I, I mean, my. It's not the bell. <laughs> my initial reaction is that no, they're not up to this challenge. But maybe they'll prove me wrong. Um, yeah, I mean, this is this is and this is an example. I was talking in my class today about this about how you know we've, we've mentioned over the past few weeks this um the sort of withdrawing from its leadership role that the u.s has sort of engaged in and this is a, a shift that we've seen it wasn't just trump right you saw this from bernie sanders to some extent this idea that we should step back and i was trying to talk about the ways in which donald trump looks different from other presidents from recent presidents from obama and bush and you know republican and democrat and this seems like a pretty classic example of that in which uh, even if it was just rhetoric in the past, there would have been condemnation of this. Um, and we can debate how much of an impact rhetoric has, but I think it has some impact. Mm -hmm. um, I, what, what's going on here is essentially, you know, implicit approval of, of this happening. Um, that, you know, the, the other story that we could talk about sort of tying into this was Trump's response to uh, the Russian assassination in which he basically said it didn't happen within our borders, so it doesn't concern us. So this idea of like, we're, you know, we don't really care. We're not, we're not that concerned with human rights violations or what's happening in other places. It, it's complicated because Turkey is an ally, um, a NATO member. Saudi Arabia is also an ally. Um, it's complicated because Turkey is an ally, but they're kind of being assholes lately. Mm -hmm. um, Saudi Arabia is always being an asshole. And, uh, you know, Saudi Arabia that has huge investments in, in Donald Trump. Um, there's all sorts of conflicts of interest tied up here. I would like to think they could handle it. I feel like they've already mishandled yeah. it. The, the, the way that Trump has talked about it, the fact that Pompeo has gone to meet with um, Saudi leadership, like there, there should be some condemnation, even if behind the scenes nothing really happens. And so I, I just I worry about the sort of large scale implications for what lessons other countries take from our response. Yeah. Nick? I, 
Yeah, I, I mean, the initial response was the lack of initial yeah. response was a little disconcerting to say the least. Uh, I I think they've got a little bit more solid footing over the past few days or so, regardless of Trump's personal statements. Uh, sending Pompeo there, I I think despite what you think about Pompeo, does send a better message than not doing anything, on top of the fact that there are reports with him there that the Saudis are now preparing a report saying that this could have potentially been an interrogation, quote-unquote, gone right. wrong, which is right. like, I, I'm not sure how that's better. Right, but, yeah. that might even be worse. Right, yeah. The guy, the guy was just holding the bone saw when he tripped right. the bell. Right. <laughs> No, no, that means he just acts, he just brought the bone saw for like tourist reasons. Right. And then when this went wrong, he's like, hey, I got a bone saw. <laughs> so, <laughs> this could get us out of a jam here. <laughs> I, I mean, it, it's, I, this is one of those situations, what, you know, Saudi Arabia, like Phil said, are, they're assholes. They're really big assholes. The fact that they would, their immediate response to this was potential retaliation, economic retaliation in the form of, you know, rising oil prices is is insane. And I, I would hope as much as the Trump administration um, has kind of kowtowed to these types of, of regimes, this is something that I think has gone beyond their grasp and has gotten a lot of international attention. And it's someone who is affiliated with the U.S. Um, it's I, I think there's enough global traction to keep them on the straight and narrow on this one. Saudi Arabia or the United States? The United yeah, States. That Trump will have to do something. They'll have to do yeah. something. Like you said, it may just be rhetoric, but it will be something more than nothing? Yeah. Question mark? We, we, it's, I think rhetoric matters. That's important that the United States condemn this. But we also need to remember the United States has tons of leverage. The way you read this in the press, it makes it seem like Saudi Arabia is the more powerful country. They mm -hmm. are not. Right. Yes, they control oil, uh, a lot of oil uh, resources. But they, if they cut the world off from oil, that also hurts them. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, ju I just think that the United States has so much more power here in the ability to shape the situation than Saudi Arabia. But, but the, the other thing that drives me nuts is rogue killers, right? I mean, so the president, yeah, this right. is, uh, even though other elements of the, the presidency or the executive branch were condemning this, when it came to Trump, he was like, well, Saudi said they could have been rogue killers. Rogue killers are out there. You know, well, that's what they said. It, oh. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, it's incredibly reminiscent of the 400-pound hacker, right? The blame yes. that he blamed yes. the, the, Russia. the Russians. And, and also the, the extent to which, you know, he, he said, was it yesterday or today, that Trump basically said, you know, Saudi Arabia says they didn't do this, and I believe him, right? It, it's very similar to the Russia thing, yes. again, to the way, way he stood next to Putin. Um that makes me really suspicious, right? Because it's pretty clear that, I, I mean, I, Russia was involved in, in tampering in U.S. elections. And it's pretty clear that there, the Trump campaign was in some way involved in that. Um, and so the, the fact that he's behaving in similar ways makes me wonder again. I mean, there, there's just so I, I'm not saying that that Trump is like involved in this, but the the. Um, there's so many conflicts of interest, the, the ties between Jared Kushner and the Saudi regime, the investments that they've made in Trump projects, the you know, there, it's just so much that it, it the, the fact that you could plausibly think that Trump is doing this because of, you know, because he's in some way bought off or compromised or whatever. Um, that's a problem in and of itself that mm -hmm. that, that, that potentially even exists. 
the other wrinkle to this is it's not just Saudi Arabia, Turkey, and the United States and rogue killers, but Iran, right? So the United States is planning on unleashing a whole new round of sanctions on Iran, right? And they've pulled out of the Iran nuclear accord, and this was going to happen, I think, early November. If we upset Saudi Arabia, that makes that so much more difficult. So even though we think about this as just the United States, Saudi Arabia, and Turkey, Anything we do against Saudi Arabia is going to complicate that dynamic with Iran as well. So I'm sure they're balancing all of those things. I don't think particularly well. Well, yeah, I, I think that's the thing. This might be one of those situations where their kind of one-dimensional strategic planning um, may inadvertently not necessarily benefit us, but bring to light an issue uh, or confront an issue that's been an issue mm -hmm. for decades at this point. If they actually do something to curtail the influence of Saudi Arabia, I don't think they will. Um, you know, the, I, I think that's a, a positive unintended consequence. Again, I don't think that they will, um, given the arms deals and, like you said, the, the more complicated issue of Iran and uh, Turkey, which they're assholes to at this point. So that's neither here nor there. Yeah, it's it's an interesting situation. I think it's it's early yet, and uh, we'll see if they find any of those body parts. Yeah. Hey, who who it, cuts up people with the bone saw? Oh, they love to do that shit. The Arabians. Yeah. Jeez, oh, <laughs> well, you were gonna say something. <laughs> I mean, again, this is I, I, I. The extent to which this is really different from recent U.S. foreign policy, I think, is worth reiterating. So, I mean, I think back to over the past few years, the times that U.S citizens have been imprisoned by foreign powers or potentially killed by foreign powers what was the uh, uh auto warm beer yeah yeah in in north korea right mm -hmm. all of this outrage over a, a an american citizen now um kashagi is not an american citizen but he's an american resident and works in the united states and is a journalist for an american paper so the idea that you know it just essentially gets no response is is it's it's really remarkable and i do think that it's not necessarily, I mean, you can view this as um, this sets a dangerous precedent, but I think in some ways the better way to view it is that this is an effect of what has been going on. The, yeah. the idea that, if, that you know, five, ten years ago, Saudi Arabia would have been this bold to, you know, to kill an American resident and a journalist would be unthinkable. They, they, well, they might they might still do it, right? But they wouldn't do it this boldly yes. and this openly, yes. right? And yes. so um, part of it is the extent to which, you know, again, the, the extent to which the Trump administration sort of praises or refuses to critique um, authoritarian regimes. This is where it starts to, I think, in some way, in some way matter. Yeah, I, I think I, I, the, not necessarily the counter to that, but the other uh, another component of that is it, the Saudis have been slipping more and more into authoritarianism in my opinion it, it was uh it was the the crown prince right who mm. uh imprisoned mbs yeah uh yeah. like a few hundred saudi princes of course at the ritz in riyadh yeah it's terrible um for corruption which was bullshit he's just trying to you know shook cement his down. influence yeah shook him they, down they pretty much millions uh, right just to get out of right the ritz. <laughs> so i i think that there's an underlying domestic uh, shift that's happening that is making them more bold. I, while I do think that the effects of the Trump administration have some influence, I think this is something that has probably been creeping into the Saudi regime for some time. They've been trying to paint themselves as more progressive while they may be behaving in more authoritarian that's ways. That's hilarious. Yeah. Right. yeah. All right, let's jump to topic number two. Has the Fed gone loco? 
So this week, Donald Trump, President of the United States, responded to falling stock prices on Thursday by throwing rocks at the Federal Reserve. He described the Federal Reserve, a government agency that is meant to operate independently, as crazy, uh, uh, loco, going wild, and out of control for slowly raising interest rates against the backdrop of a booming economy. No other modern president has publicly attacked the uh, Fed with such venom or frequency. Uh, those around Trump say that we should pay no attention to this. It's just Trump being Trump, and he has no desire to intervene in the internal affairs of the Federal Reserve. Yet with the midterms right around the corner, one has to wonder whether Trump is trying to put a little pressure on the Fed to keep those stocks moving in the right direction. Phil, there's nothing wrong with the president putting a little pressure on the Fed, is there? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, in, in response to this story, I don't know the lesson to be learned or the lesson to be taken from this is that Trump doesn't understand the American government, the sure. system of government. I think that's part of it. Um, and part of it is that he doesn't have respect for the norms and institutions as yes. they stand. So I think part of it is that he just doesn't understand. He doesn't know who, like the idea that he couldn't fire them. I didn't he even mention the possibility of firing the, the fed chair, but he said he wouldn't do that. <laughs> Right, because he can't. <laughs> that's not how it works. Yes. But that's—I imagine—that's the sort of thing where, like, he—you know—again, he doesn't do research. He's just going off the top of his head. I don't—I think he doesn't really get it. Um, but on the other side, of, I mean, the other side of it again is that this is not a good precedent to set. The whole idea of the Fed of separating it is that you don't want it to be a political institution. You don't want it to be determining monetary policy based on political needs you don't want a president to be pushing for monetary policy that benefits him and screws over the economy so that's the reason why we have this buffer in place and that's a good thing um and so he can't really directly do anything but i do think the rhetoric matters um, i mean the, the republican party or people within the republican party have been calling for investigations into the fed and audits of the fed for a while so i don't i don't think that this is necessarily a new line of thinking to critique the fed but it to do it for the president to be doing it so yeah. blatantly and openly um yeah it's it's not good i think he i think he i think he understands that he's not supposed to do it and he doesn't care <laughs> right I mean, so there's one way to say that he just doesn't understand you can't do this for a while that works but now people are explaining things to him i think he i think he knows that he's not supposed to do it and he just doesn't care. He's like, I'm, I'm still going to, I know I'm not supposed to do it, but I can still work him at the margins and it'll be do effective. Think, do you think he understands why he's not supposed to do it? No, <laughs> like, no, no. So, <laughs> again, or, and, and, and doesn't care. <laughs> you right. know, he's like, or maybe somebody explained that to him and he's like, oh, that's stupid. Uh, today he gave an interview and I, I guess it's an interview on Fox that's going to air tonight. And he said, my biggest threat is the Fed because the Fed is raising rates too fast and it's independent. So I don't speak to them, but I'm not happy with what he's doing. Right. So it's like that, that kind of language is as convoluted and bizarre as it is. It, it shows that he gets he's not supposed to put pressure, mm -hmm. but he's like, I'm, I'm still going to put pressure. I'm going to say I'm not going to put pressure and put pressure. But he doesn't know why he shouldn't put pressure on. I don't I, I don't yeah. think he has a firm understanding of that. I, I, yeah. I you know, I have my own issues with the Fed, but I understand the need to raise interest rates, mm -hmm. to, you know, head it's off potential inflation, inflation down right. the, like right. it's not it's not right. a complicated thing yeah. but I, I i i question his a firm understanding of the reasoning behind what they do let alone the levers of government and who you can and can't fire and, and we should right. explain I, oh go I, ahead phil 
I think he doesn't get the 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 institutional constraints or why it's set up that way. He also has no economic no- policy no. knowledge. Like, so the idea that he is arguing often that we have this rapidly growing economy, the best economy ever, but that we shouldn't be, you know, that, that there wouldn't be some sort of adjustment that comes along with that to prevent inflation and whatnot. He just has no, he, he doesn't, he has, yeah. he's, he, he thinks about things in a simple, you know, way. And then, yeah, he doesn't understand economic theory. And again, we should just, I mean, just to clear it up, I mean, the reason you do this is that you don't want the Federal Reserve responding to political pressures, right? So a president would have an interest when an election comes up to elevate one part of the economy that would make people go out and vote for him that might have long-term negative consequences. So to Nick's point about inflation, if if they held those the interest rates down, it might keep the stock market going up, it might you know keep selling, but ultimately quickly you have inflation and that can have major long-term impact. So the only other president to, to marginally try to pressure, pressure the, the Fed was Nixon. And he even did it like behind the scenes, and it was very, very small scale. No, like tweeting and interviewing, attacking the yeah, Fed. He just recorded all of it. Right. So. <laughs> there, I mean, there, there are lots of examples of countries around the world that had, you know, authoritarian regimes or didn't have a proper separation, who, you know, print money before an election and hand it out to help them get reelected. Right. Which is a great electoral strategy. It's a terrible strategy yeah. for your economy. Um, yeah. I would say that uh, he's a true capitalist, and he's just worried about freedom at this That's point. That's true. He, yeah. just, he just this wants is, the market to do what the market Right. Does. The market's going to do it, man. It's going to figure it out. Let's just not even worry about it. Let's just, you know, wheat and chaff. Let's just separate it, burn it down, start I, again. I heard an interview, speaking of that, with uh, Francis Fukuyama, who's a, a political scientist. He's written a bunch of big books. He's got a new book coming out. And he was talking about the importance of capitalism for keeping people like Donald Trump out of politics. And he was saying that the reason the free market is so important is because it's so much fun. And what it does is it pulls people like Donald Trump who are going to want to try to manipulate the system into the marketplace and it keeps them from doing damage. Oh, so it takes the real scumbags and puts them over there. Uh, And his point, so when he wrote this book, The End of History, at the end of that book, which nobody actually read, he said, I talk about Donald Trump. And, you know, uh, for democracy, a free market is really important because you want good people in that political apparatus. And boy, it's it's sure great that Trump is in the economic side and not the political side. But what happens when you have shitty people on both sides? How does that work? Brazil happens then, right? (laughs) My thought is that I imagine there's a whole lot of people out there living in poverty right now who are like... Screw you, Fukuyama. Capitalism is fine. <laughs> right. Yes, that's a good point. Oh, good. oh, the Fed is loco. All right, so let's jump to our next one. So in specifically, let's go to the Georgian government governor's race, uh, where this week we learned that tens of thousands of Georgia voters, predominantly African Americans, were placed on a list for further review. This has prompted bitter exchanges between the candidates. As we've talked about previously, this race perfectly captures the broader divide in the country. Stacey Abrams, the Democrat who is hoping to be the nation's first black female governor, forged her political profile through a group she founded in that, uh, that in the last five years has registered thousands of new minor- minority voters. Her opponent, Brian Kemp, the Georgia Secretary of State since 2010, has uh, advanced strict voting rules that he says are needed to combat fraud, but which critics call a form of voter suppression directed at pr- precisely these new voters. Ms. Abrams is aiding, uh, aiming to bring to the polls. The ra- uh, this race is the latest example of how contentious and far-reaching voting, is- voting issues have become in America politics. 
these were once largely nonpartisans, and now they're being weaponized to gain an edge. Phil, what should we think of the Georgian election and uh, uh, this debate over voting rights? Um, well, there... There's like a, a more small scale approach to this, which is to talk about that specific election, yeah. which is the, the part that you don't mention in that is that uh, what's his name? Brian Kemp. Yeah. Is the guy. So the guy running for governor is the one who's deciding sure. which voters to. So it's not it, it's it's not that they have a disagreement about right. whether these people should be purged from the rolls. It's that he has an interest in getting certain people off the rolls and he has the ability to do that. But he's so there's the a guy. terrible, there's, do what? <laughs> but he's the guy he's right. supposed to do that. And just, just as a point of reference. <laughs> so yeah, he's the secretary of state. He is can't, he's at, uh, overseeing the cancellation of 1.4 million registrations since 2012. Now, some of those are dead people, right? And that's okay, right? Sure. That's part of their job is to get No, they're died. all registered Democrats. <laughs> so, you are Democrats for eternity. But he is he and the guy from Kansas, I can't think of his name right now, are, are the most aggressive Secretary of State in terms of removing uh, uh, people from the voting voting rules. So, yeah, I mean, this is my my sort of thing about this race is that this is this is insanely again it's one of those things sort of like the trump relationship with saudi arabia that maybe it's not corrupt but it sure looks like it like it doesn't it you know he he's i just the idea that that again if you take the party labels off of it if you flipped it around right if a democrat were in charge of voting rolls and were purging old people off of the polls <laughs> while they were running for governor you would be like well that's bullshit <laughs> so i mean that it's it's a it's a weird thing but the, on the bigger the bigger this is a this is a strange debate to me the the whole the the i i don't i don't get the I, it, it's a weird shift it feels like voting was the thing everyone thought everyone should vote you know it feels like in my childhood it was like more voters maybe that was i was just naive back then but um the idea of like pushing people off the rolls in the name of preventing voter fraud it's kind of a weird thing to me because voter fraud is so so rare right so the idea of getting dead people off the rolls makes sense but it also it's not like there's a rash of like 500,000 people who voted using dead people's names last election right this happens a couple of times far more people are adversely affected by their names being falsely not falsely or in you know inappropriately removed from the voter rolls i I don't know. I, I don't. I, I mean, I understand why Repu Republicans benefit from lower turnout. I understand why they would want to do that. I just, it just, the 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 argument, the logic behind it is, I, I, I just, I'm, I don't know why. Why it seems like everyone should just be mm. automatically registered to vote. I don't, I don't really get the. Which other some, than self-interest, I don't really get why some, you would be opposed to that. Some countries around the world do that, right? It's automatic. You're right. automatically registered. The right. United States is is different by state. So I'm going to tell you why your point is ridiculous. I think it's, I mean, first of all, there's no, I, there's never going to be a Democrat who's going to be in a position of power who would actually be able to do something like this because none of them are ever going to be in a, a position of power that's, like that's that. Fair, fair point, Nick. Fair <laughs> one, of point. The is, one of the lessons is this is why local elections and state elections matter, Correct, right? Yeah. And Republicans have been way better at winning those than Democrats. Yeah. I, 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 I tend to agree with you. I think the problem is much less than, than people are, are aware of. Um, I think it's disconcerting um i i think it's a a general possibility though that that you know that things like that can happen realistically this is something that can be taken care of by nationwide election reform uh, the the fact that 
we depend on these local elections to decide while I understand they are local elections and that it's affecting an entire federal national system to the point where there should be a federal national system that handles and is responsible for the security and accuracy uh, of, you know, the uh, citizenry and, you know, their ability to vote. And yeah, it should be an opt out policy instead of an opt in Mm -hmm. policy. Um, This is one of those things. And I rarely, rarely do this where the federal government should be 100 percent responsible for this. Yeah. It is kind of crazy that we leave elections up to yeah. 50 states and thousands, you know, hundreds of thousands of localities. And right. Yeah. yeah. Every yeah. None of this stuff. It's we talk about it so much when these elections come around and we could completely negate it fairly simply. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, I, I is I think the Republicans are generally smarter and better at taking advantage of these systems. I would be completely happy if this went away and we never, ever had to talk oh, about it again. again. You know, the case in Georgia is really interesting. So the review that's going on, this list of 53,000 voters that are under review, 70% of them are black. Now, most that that's because Abrams has gone out and done some voter registration. So mm-hmm. her, you know, for her strategies to get people to vote. The problem in Georgia is they have one of these exact match laws, which means your voter registration has to exactly match the government document. Government document. So if there's a hyphen in the wrong place, if one word is misspelled, you suddenly come up for review. And then the onus, it doesn't mean you can't vote, but the onus is then shifted to the voter to prove that they are legitimate. As opposed to other states where if there's not an exact match, the government goes tries to find to say, okay, this is the person. They don't withhold your ability to vote. It's a kind of an interesting thing. I mean, it's, it's so strict. Uh, and I, so I'm not really in favor of these exact match laws. It feels like the government is trying to make it difficult to vote, uh, whereas I think we should be trying to make it easier for people to vote. Uh, and, you, and you can still have fair laws and keep people who shouldn't be yeah. voting off. Well, yeah, the counter to that is I, uh, voting in the last election. I didn't have to – they didn't look at an ID, which I understand the yeah. the, the the narrative behind that. Uh, I, you know, instinctively gave them my nickname instead yeah. of my full name, and they just pulled a card out and assumed it was me and just gave it to me. Like, there there needs to be some sort of middle ground between the two things that, that we're talking mm-hmm. about. Um, yeah, I I, I, I I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's a weird thing, and it should not be as disparate yeah. and fractured as it is right now. We should all have chips implanted in Obviously. Us, but the government can track. <laughs> yeah. So we go vote. Yes. <laughs> uh, well, well, should we talk about beers? Yeah. All right. Um, Phil, you want to go first? Sure. So I uh, was saying before we came on the air, I, I, I went to my local beer store like two months ago. And this was one of the beers that was given to me, and it's I've been afraid of it. Um, it's uh, New Holland Brewing. Do you know where that's in Michigan? Yeah, right? mm-hmm. yeah. I knew a guy in New Holland. Yeah. Really? This nice is called drag, Dragon's Milk, which is a oh, oh yeah, that's a good yes, one. Yes. Yeah, it's it's a, an unappetizing name, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, I was afraid. It's a bourbon barreled aged stout. I I like. I'm always pleasantly surprised by stouts. I'm always unpleasantly surprised by the barrel aged part of things but this one's pretty darn good i it's um the bourbon the barrel aged part is not overwhelming it's 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 smooth i was a little afraid of the fact that it's like 12 percent alcohol by volume um yeah I, it's not it won't be like my go-to beer like it's not the one that i'm gonna want to but but i've i've enjoyed it i would recommend giving it a try 
I do like that one a lot. That's I like New one. Holland yeah. in general. Yeah, yep. they're pretty good. Um, yeah, Bill and I are actually we're switching up a little. Um, we got our hands on some ciders, some craft ciders uh, from Cerro, uh, which is uh, Cerro Cider, which is out in Lincoln, Nebraska. So um, they were nice enough to uh, to provide some of these for us. Uh, we tried a couple different ones. One was uh, Valencia, and one was uh, Unbridled. Um, we tried Unbridled first. Unbridled was, it was very tart, mm-hmm. um, but very light. Yeah, uh, crisp. Very crisp, yeah. I, I, I liked it. Um, I generally like a little bit more sweetness to mine, but I, I thought it was really good overall. Yeah, I agree. It was it was a little bit too tart for my taste, but it was a, it was tasty, right? I mean, it was good, yeah. Mm-hmm. And the second one we tried, um, yeah, was Valencia, which has, uh, uh, I'll give you a, a description of it. Uh, where the hell is it? Slightly dry, slightly tart with notes of citrus. A well-balanced cider. Yeah. Um, this one was interesting when it poured. It's, it's cloudy. It's cloudy, yeah. It's like an opaque kind of, um, I mean, it looks like like apple cider, like un, unpasteurized apple cider. Um, this one had a little bit more sweetness to yeah. it and a little bit more kind of floralness, um, which I liked. I liked this one a lot. Yeah, I thought this one was the best of the two. Yeah, very, very drinkable, tasty. Very <laughs> drinkable and tasty. Yes. Um, yeah, so if you guys, if we have any listeners in Nebraska, I certainly hope we do, um, driving out to uh, Lincoln and check out these guys. It's actually their their grand opening uh, this coming weekend. So good luck with that, guys. Um, we like this stuff. Um, you know, we'll share it through social media and uh which I didn't mention now that I'm thinking about it at the beginning of the podcast. Uh, we do reviews on everything that we try on Untapped, which you can download on iOS and Android. Um, we're just Barstool Politics on there. So look for our reviews. Um, yeah. So thanks, guys. This this was really good. We appreciate it. Speed round continues. Mm-hmm. Georgia to China. <laughs> so we're It's practically the same thing. <laughs> exactly. So we're moving to China, where this week China publicly acknowledged that it has indeed created re-education centers for the Uyghur population living in Western China. The United Nations and other human rights groups have estimated that up to one million Uyghurs, Kazakhs, and other minorities have been detained in these camps. On Tuesday, Chinese officials describe the networks of camps as, quote, humane job training centers. Hey. Yeah. They They suggest the criticisms are unwarranted as they are simply an attempt to, quote, bring into the modern civilized world a destitute people who are easily led astray. Wow. <laughs> That's how wow. I, de- I describe Phil often that way. Um, on you, China. So they noted the camps are a humane and lawful shield against terrorism. They also receive training in job skills such as making clothes, e-commerce, hairdressing, and cosmetology. Uh, <laughs> Phil, you studied cosmetology in college. Your in thoughts on all? What's that? In China. In China, yes. <laughs> so are you, are you buying the Chinese explanation here? <laughs> Take your time. Yes. Well, I was going to parse it out. I am <laughs> sure that the Chinese explanation that they are giving some level of job training might be true. <laughs> yeah. And that they believe that the Uyghurs need to be brought into the modern civilized world. <laughs> that they believe that? That's yeah. true. Yeah. Um, that it's humane to put large numbers of people into essentially re-education camps? Not so much. I'm not buying that uh, that idea. Yeah. I, so I've been, I, I've been to, I've been to um, 
part of I've been to China. I've been to a, a part of China in which there were large numbers of uh, like the Muslim population was significant. The explanation or the description of, of Chinese Muslims as being essentially, uh, you know, backwards, destitute people is is that's pretty bold. I, I wonder how much they can get away with it just because the world is sort of not all that educated about Chinese diversity and populations in, in general. And all they have to throw out there is like, this is the terrorist threat. We're just taking care right. of terrorism. Mm-hmm. These are rogue elements and uh, they need some re-education. So. I, I, you also wonder, it, I, to me, it seems like China can get away with a, a lot of shit, despite mm-hmm. their economic prowess and, you know, constant expansion on the world stage. They can do and say almost anything at this point. They're, you know, either taking over or creating territory, you know, in disputed waters, uh, South China Sea and, and wherever else you can think of. This internal shit on top of the Uyghurs, I mean, they have their own, you know, quote unquote, re-education camps for their, you know, political dissidents and people yeah. who just disappear and right. massive surveillance programs with the help of some, you know, U.S. based firms and, and whatnot. It's it's really disheartening that we're as dependent on a country like this as we are. Um, yeah, it, it's you can you can almost see it's a it's a good um, study in how the U.S. and this type of culture are completely different, um, regardless of how similar or how interconnected they are from an economic standpoint, there, there's a, a blatant difference in their um, uh, focus and um, uh, persistence to, uh, what's the word, um, forward human rights efforts. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's just, they're just, it's just sick. And I really wish we didn't have to deal with them yeah. at all. Well, uh, two things strike me about this. Unless these re-education centers are voluntary, they are not good, right? I mean, it doesn't matter what's going on there. Sure, you're training somebody in cosmetology. That's fine. But if you're forcing the person to be there, no good. The other thing I think about when I hear stories like this is how hard it is for China because they can't allow any kind of dissent. And when you've got a system like that, even some relatively peaceful Uyghurs who are just different and not necessarily in support of the government, you have to create re-education centers, spend millions and millions of dollars making sure that there's no pushback. Ultimately, this is incredibly difficult for China. And, and, and I guess that's it's an argument for democracy. Because when you run a system like China runs, you have to make sure that nobody is pushing back. And this is, this is absurd. But is it that difficult for them? Like, I understand. I mean, for us, it would be extraordinarily difficult. I I think for them, between the economic control that they have over their own system, that they enforce on their own system, their ability to monitor everyone and use the massive amount of of wealth that they've gathered over the past 30 years or so, they can use it however they want. It's not, in the end, it all funnels back into the central government and the Communist Party in some way, shape, or form. I think that they've found a way to kind of secure and prop up this communist system that doesn't appear like that from the outside, but they found a model that the Soviet Union couldn't get to work for 50 years. And I'll be be very interested to see how they kind of forward that mentality. And we've already seen that with, um, you know, in, in other areas of the world where China has become 
uh, an equal um, in some capacity to the United States and almost preferable to the United States because there aren't these human rights issues that kind of come along with, uh, you know, having, um, uh, what's the word, something, uh, interdependence right. or, or, or dealings with. Sure. Um, yeah, it's... It's a it's a really fascinating study in geopolitics and the formation of kind of new governmental systems. Yeah, Phil, were you going to say something? Uh, not necessarily. I, I, do you think is this is this in any way is this more bold for China than what they've done in the past? I mean, China has a long history of not being particular. I mean, not to say they're not being particularly good on human rights. They have a long record of being terrible on human rights. Um, but I, I don't know. Do you? I, this, is it I don't a change? Know, not necessarily in, in what they're doing, but in how they talk about it. I mean, this is so to go back to what you were talking about yeah. with Fukuyama, right? Who who so boldly claimed twenty years ago that that democracy, that liberalism had won, right? And and we've talked about earlier in this episode and lots of episodes that it, it feels like, you know, take it away from don't tie it to Trump at all and, and rhetoric or any of that stuff. Just in general, when you look at the world, it felt like liberalism in the, you know, small L, the sort of democracy, Western human rights, you know, economic openness had its day and it felt like it had sort of won. But it feels like in the last 10 years, it's lost a lot of ground, oh, right? That absolutely. it's not the assumed thing anymore. And and whether it's Saudi Arabia more boldly you know, executing a, a, a critic or Russia doing something similar or the a leading candidate in Brazil talking about how killing 30,000 more people would have led to a more stable Brazil or China rounding up people and putting them in camps, not in a secretive way, but in a mm -hmm. sort of openly, Hey, we're training them how to do hair. All of this feels <laughs> a little bit like, um, yeah, I mean, it feels like that, that the, the boldness comes from sure. a changing global sense that you don't have to pretend to be right. Um, that, that, you know, the Western liberal notions of, of basic human rights are not necessarily this, you know, holy, uh, idea, the sacred idea that they were 10 years ago, that, that it's, it feels like it's eroding a little bit. I think that's spot on. Anti-democratic forces are on the march. The data supports this. You look at Freedom House and all the measures of democracy, uh, non-democratic countries are growing. You know, the democracies are taking a serious hit. And I think you're right to separate it from Trump. Trump could play a role in downplaying some of this and that I, I would be critical of him. I'm critical of him for not doing that. But you're right. This may be distinct from that where China says, hey, we're not worried about democracy anymore because look at what's going on with democracy. Look at Eastern, I mean, look at Europe, look at the United States. Nobody's making the case for democracy anymore. Right. So we don't feel the need to hide this. I mean, China came right. out today or the last couple of days and said, yeah, this is what we're doing. They may not have done that 10, 15 years ago when it was a different global climate and there was real pressure to respect the people's view and, and embrace democracy. That's right. And and back to what Nick was saying, as they grow in their economic power, it makes it harder for other countries to, mm -hmm. you know, exactly. to be critical. That you, it used to be that maybe you could impose some level of sanctions, but the, that level of interdependency means that, you know, China has more cards to play. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's good. That good is, point, Nick. I th thanks. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> thanks, guys. Ooh. Should we move on to Bill Clinton? Sure. We are all over the place today. This yeah. is great. We've been in Georgia. We've been in China. You know, uh, <laughs> the Federal Reserve, and now we're moving to Bill Clinton. Mm. So Bill Clinton and all his sexual indiscretions were back in the news when on Sunday, uh, Sunday morning, CBS correspondent Tony. 
uh, Dunkelpill, uh, asked Hillary Clinton whether her husband should have resigned after the Lewinsky affair. Absolutely not, Hillary replied. It wasn't an abuse of power. Uh, no, no, she said. And uh, so the reporter raised a skeptical eyebrow at the notion of the president of the United States having a consensual relationship with an intern. She ha hastened her to interject that Lewinsky, 22 at the time, was an adult. Uh, so, Phil, have d Democrats and the country as a whole properly reckoned with Bill Clinton's past? And is this a good use of the country's time? I mean, do we have anything else to talk about? Or should we be talking about Bill Clinton? <laughs> So uh, I have a couple of a couple of points to to make about this. Um, I so I I mean, the the first the the first thing is that I I think what this shows if we go back to um, if we go back to the first topic we talk about Saudi Arabia at one point Donald Trump made a statement this week you know Donald Trump is good if you watch him every not even every now and then, but pretty often he comes out and says the thing, right, that he's not supposed to say. Yeah. Um, and this week he made some comment about how getting upset about one journalist isn't worth the hundreds of millions of dollars in, um, you know, uh, military contracts we have. He said that, the, you know, he, what he made clear was essentially um, when it comes down to it, right, we'll talk about human rights, but when it comes down to it, there's a lot of money we can make off of this. <laughs> There's an element of that here as as well, which is that, you know, and, and it I think it's valid to critique the Democrats for this, which is that all of the principles that are out there, when it comes down to it, there's some element of protect your own that comes into play yeah. here. Right. And and this is the classic example of it. Now, to be fair, Hillary Clinton's in a hard spot. Right. This is her husband. It's not that she's being asked to talk about some other democratic president i mean it's you know if if you asked me a question about my wife's behavior on national tv there's a certain response that i would give that might be different than if, if you were asking me about some other you know sure. person that i'm not uh as close to but having said that this seems like just say yes right like i it, should he have resigned yeah, with what we know now, our understanding of things, if it were today, yes, he should resign. It doesn't matter, right? It does. We don't go back in time to 1990, whenever, and and actually change history, right? He's still going to be president. Say yes, this is a problem. Um, he should, you know, looking back on it, yeah, with hindsight, what we know now, the Me Too movement, this is pro this just seems like an example of Democrats coming up to an election in which they have everything going for them. They should win big. And somehow you, we're like, like we're talking about Bill Clinton still. Like, just yes, say he, yeah, it was wrong what he did. I don't. I, that, it I seems, agree with it you, just, Phil, and I'm still stunned yeah. by your words, <laughs> <laughs> Nick. <sighs> she is. I'm, I'm. I'm. I'm talking directly to Democrats at this point. She is an albacross around your fucking neck mm. at this point. She is a. I, I. I don't care if you supported her in the last election. That's fine, but this is who she is at this point. You know who the person was that was going after the women who accused uh, 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 Bill Clinton of sexual assault. It was her more than anybody. Mm -hmm. She tried to destroy them, and she. Uh, it. I saw there was a some article in the past week or so. I can't remember if it was New York Times or Washington Post. Is that things like this are why women don't come forward with these types of not accusa accusations necessary, but but um, stories and and you know their experiences. This is not about this is about power. This is about political elite power 
and hypocrisy on the part of people who you think are, you know, are your ardent supporters and leaders and who who evince the the kind of mentality and personality and and uh, political ideology that you're supposed to have. She's just as bad as everybody else. And between this and um, what was the other thing? Oh, the uh, the civility thing that we talked about last week. How civility should just go out the window and we can re-engage with it after the Democrats win the next election. Go fuck yourself. I'm so tired of this bitch and her husband and the fact that you're going to try and sell out arenas at $750 a pop for an evening with the Clintons and you can drag around your half-dead husband and, and take advantage of people who want to listen to your shit. I'm I'm done with them. Like it, it's they're they're terrible just, people. Just wanna make- just want to make clear that was Nick talking. That was me. My <laughs> opinions are my own and don't re- represent any anyone else. You could tweet at Nick at. <laughs> so here she is. Are, do you still stand with her, motherfuckers? Like this is it's out of control. You got to stop thinking that you have some sort of holier than thou idol that you're going to follow who is better than other people. She is. None of them are better than anyone. Sure. They don't get to that position if they are because the better people are out doing something else. For me, I'm done now. Okay. <laughs> My thought on this, and I, I think I do tend to agree that I kind of wish Hillary Clinton would go away now. She's not helping the Democrats. But for me, the more interesting question here, or the, the element, is Bill Clinton. And I will say, like, I feel like I'm having a reckoning with Bill Clinton. So there's there's this fantastic podcast, Slow Burn. If you haven't listened to it, it's wonderful. The first season was looking at the, the Nixon impeachment. The second season looks at the Clinton impeachment. And I liked Bill Clinton. I liked him a lot. And during the Starr investigation, I felt like it was over the top, that they went too far, that the impeachment was unnecessary, that you know they shouldn't be looking into the personal indiscretions of the president. But listening to this back and kind of looking at that reality of the 90s now in light of what we see today, I think Bill Clinton was, was probably a, a, a terrible person, right? Especially in terms of his sexual behavior. Uh, the final episode of this podcast, they interview Juanita Broderick who accused Clinton of raping her. And you hear her testimony. You hear her talk about this. I find her incredibly credible. Uh, and it's, it has is, it is rattled me to, to think about my own support of a candidate and probably my defense, I'm sorry, candidate, uh, of a president uh, of a, uh, who probably should not have been in office. And I think to Phil's point earlier, yes, he should have resigned. Yes, he, he should have left office because it was, it, was a, it was terrible behavior. And as a society... And a democracy, we shouldn't have accepted it. I I, I agree with you. Um, the 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 just I mean the the counter to some extent is a, a, again the absurdity of all of this is that we're talking to Hillary Clinton about whether her husband should have resigned, you know, twenty years ago. Yeah. While the current president yes. right, has similar multiple of the similar type of accusation against him. And it, it's just a weird, it's a, it's a weird thing. Like, why are we talking about, we should talk about that, right? But yeah. we talk about it in this way in which we sort of pretend that the other is not yes. happening. Uh, this, this fascination with the Clintons is a, is a weird thing in American political culture. Yeah, and there absolutely is an irony to asking her, and I think she even said that, and to her credit, she said, hey, you know, look what's going on in the office of the presidency, and I think that's a fair point as well, right? It's, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't, critique Bill Clinton. We absolutely should. And I think as history moves forward, 
it's going to look less and less good for Bill Clinton. But there also should be a reckoning for, for Donald Trump. Especially since Bill Clinton has been so tone deaf in the response yes. to all of this. Yes. Like, yeah, it, it, it doesn't appear that he's a man who, as time has gone on, has like thought deeply about this. He no. seems like a man who, yeah, doesn't doesn't get it still. Speaking of, I hate them. <laughs> I hate them so much. This will be a fun one for you, Yay. Nick. All right, jumping from oh, Bill Clinton I do like this one so much. to Pocahontas, <laughs> the bad version. So, <laughs> Senator Elizabeth Warren released a DNA test that suggests she has a distant, distant Native American ancestor. Can you put "distant" in there one more time? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, this has set up a fresh round of barbs Monday between the likely pres- uh, 2020 presidential contender and the current occupant of the Oval Office. A report distributed by Warren concludes that there is, a, there is, quote, strong evidence that the senator had a Native American in her family tree dating back six to ten generations. But the public rollout accompanied by a campaign-like video has provoked strong rebukes from tribal leaders and activists. Cherokee Nation Secretary, uh, Secretary, Secretary of State Chuck Hoskins Jr. stated, Quote, it makes a mockery out of DNA tests, and it is legitimately uh, legitimate uses while also dishonoring legitimate tribal governments and their citizens. President Trump did not miss the opportunity, tweeting, quote, Pocahontas, the bad version, sometimes referred to as Elizabeth Warren, is getting slammed. Now Cherokee Nation denies her, uh, denies her. Even they don't want her. Phony. Got his tweets. <laughs> now, we can all agree this is stupid. But nothing wrong with talking about stupid, right, Nick? That's <laughs> all we do. We are we are stupid. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. So Phil, so Pocahontas, we're we're. I, 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 God, yeah, I, I don't even like using. Go, just go. <laughs> <laughs> this makes me mad on all sides. Yeah, like, I'm mad yes. at everyone involved in this. Um, the, so I, the um, I mean c- certainly. Trump's use of Pocahontas to describe her is, 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 I don't know. Maybe I, I know people will disagree with this, but it's 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 racist. Yes. It's oh yeah. On all sorts of yeah, stereotypes. It's deeply offensive. Yeah. Um, attacking her for that is 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 dumb. He did say <clears throat> that he would pay a million dollars to a charity of Elizabeth Warren's choice if she had a DNA test that showed that she had any Native American ancestry. <laughs> Um, there's a video of him saying that they've, they've asked him about it. He says, I didn't say that. <laughs> now he was saying, I guess today he said something like he'll only believe it if he can administer the test and he doesn't like the thought of having to do that. Wait, like, so he guys just agreed. So like, if he, if he did the DNA analysis, if he's like under the microscope looking at the DNA. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> so Donald Trump is, is, I mean, he's, he's being an ass about this. Um, in some way, you know, she's like she's in some way vindicated by showing this. If you dig a little deeper, though, I mean, the stuff her claims to, to Native American ancestry were stronger than I'm one two thousandth Native American. Right? Oh, she I was have listed, the list. <laughs> yeah, she was listed as on Harvard's faculty as as a as a as a minority faculty member. They're I think. first. Yeah, um, at Harvard. Harvard uh, Law. Yeah. Harvard Law School. I mean, she's she. There were lots of applications in which she claimed this heritage in ways that um, are they are problematic. She right? didn't I mean, do it for the Harvard. She it was on her applic. It wasn't on her application, right? I think they, Harvard listed that, but she didn't use that on the application, which maybe is a, a difference without a distinction. But yes, yeah. I think she asked to have that on there. 
Yeah, as I recall, it's 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 bad form, and then the campaign rollout video was so awkward. That's it just, my, yeah. This is my main criticism: is that Democrats are dumb, right? Like, I mean, <laughs> this is the you have an election coming up in which you have a pretty wide, other than with his base, a pretty widely unpopular president. Democrats have the chance to take almost certainly take back the House. If things go really well, they could potentially take back the Senate. They should be talking about issues. They should be talking about the things that they disagree with Donald Trump on. Mm-hmm. They shouldn't be engaging in this political bullshit, this this like showmanship. So I I I, I like Elizabeth Warren. I'm really I, I was really disappointed with the way that she, this was done and the yeah. way she did this. Mm-hmm. I, two two weeks are we two weeks out from election day three weeks three weeks out from election day that this is be- the the thing that we're talking about is so dumb and yeah. and it ties back to the the bill clinton thing I, republicans are really good at repeating some story long enough to where like democrats jump on board and that becomes yeah. the thing they talk about too mm-hmm. like just ignore donald trump's stupid pocahontas statements and talk about tax cuts and talk about the yeah. you know Obamacare and talk about you know, immigration and the things that you disagree with him on. She took and the bait today. She, I mean, she did. Took, yeah. The, yeah. The bully but, kept poking her and then she she didn't walk away. That's so, the biggest thing. That, let me, I, I've talked too much, but let me say, I did see one somebody who made the argument that essentially she's playing the game, right? Which is that if you want to be perceived as the candidate or the challenger to Trump, you sort of egg him on. Like the person that Trump is focusing on is perceived as the best challenger to him. Oh, and so that Elizabeth Warren is sort of playing this game because it feeds into both the right wing and the left wing media hysteria about 2020. And it starts to frame her as the top candidate and and in that sense they both win trump gets gets a boost because stupid democrats right and she gets a boost because trump really hates her she must be good right and i think there's something to that but again it's putting politics like the purpose of politics is lost which is that it's about policy and all that stuff i'll shut up yeah so so those two win democracy loses once again yeah yeah i i in there's a difference between being kind of conf- confrontational and having a back and forth with someone on a political level. She just kind of caved to the pressure of this particular little barb that he had. And you could you knew that it just ate at her and yeah. ate at her. And she took the bait, like you said. And it's one thing, you don't do something in politics unless you know what the outcome is. It's just like being a lawyer. Like, why, why risk? the result which has now come to light um if you didn't know what the outcome was going to be and realistically the consequences of this are that everything that you've said about yourself for the better part of 30 years is just false you it now there it's the story is you took advantage of the system you made the, the university of pennsylvania uh change your ethnicity from white to native american the story about you know your mother and their and her father who had to elope because you know they wouldn't allow them to get married because she hadn't she was obviously native american which is just bullshit and saying that you know we have high cheekbones like all the indians do like you just look like an asshole like don't don't play the game like and, and realistically this isn't 
necessarily this is in support of what he did this is the fact that you should know better oh. than to do this you don't 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 feed the troll we talked about it before yep. never ever feed the troll and, and, I'm going to say it again. Don't feed the troll. And Democrats should have, I mean, I don't know if she spoke to anybody about this, but there should have been a conversation with Chuck Schumer saying, like, hey, here's an idea I've got, right? Uh, I'm gonna, and Chuck should have said, no, 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 absolutely not. I keep coming back to uh, our Texas guy, Beto uh, O'Rourke. Uh, that guy, what did he say his last name again? O'Rourke. O'Rourke, O'Rourke yeah, sorry. <laughs> That's terrible. Sorry about Two that. Two years in. Yeah. Uh, he is running the kind of campaign that all Democrats should be running, focusing on the issues. When mm-hmm. Democrats do something stupid, he criticizes them for it, right? I mean, this, it's not that hard in this environment to run a clean campaign and and benefit from it. I mean, he may win in Texas because he's running a smart campaign. And my fear is that Democrats are going to fall prey to all these dumb arguments and and, and Trump's going to pull him in and it's going to it's going to dampen the potential wave. It's just it just this isn't that hard. And Democrats always find a way to screw it up. But this is also this is also a product of of where we are as a culture, mm-hmm. because this wouldn't be such a big deal if we if Americans didn't eat it up on both yeah. sides. Oh, right. Yeah. So like Republicans are eating this up because it shows that she's been lying about her ancestry. Democrats are eating it up because, oh, she stuck it to Trump, who yeah. said that. She wasn't, you know, he promised to give a million dollars. And it, it's just, it's the, it's where it's the, it's the, 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 the bullshit reality TV version of politics, right? We're rather than actually having discussions and debates about the things that are affecting everyday Americans, rather than talking about the fact that kids are still being in, you know, uh, imprisoned in camps in uh, South Texas, rather than talking about you know North Korea or about healthcare or any of the stuff, here we are doing this. So I, I'm pissed at. I'm mad at Elizabeth Warren for the rollout three weeks before Election Day. I'm mad at the media for yeah. jumping all over this and mm. covering this. This is a non-story. I mean, it's not a non-story, but it should be you know on page we're talking 12, about it. <laughs> page twelve of the newspaper. There yeah. should be a little blurb about it or whatever. But well, it, 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 to your point, Phil, you're right. There's a, there's enough truth on for both parties here, right? So Elizabeth Warren can say, and she did, like you know, here this is evidence that there is that I have Cherokee ancestry in my DNA, right? There's evidence there. No. But the, well, there, I, that's the thing. That there is enough where she can say this, and then Trump mm-hmm. can say, yeah, it's there, but it's not a whole lot, right? So both sides get enough truth where it fills their narratives. It's on MSNBC. It's on Fox News. Everybody's happy, but nobody wins. Um, yeah. She, she Meanwhile, two weeks ago. Indian DNA than most white Americans do. The, I'll keep fact- going after Phil's done. <laughs> The fact that that two weeks ago, the New York Times released a blockbuster report that basically laid out very clearly how Donald Trump and his family Mm -hmm. had committed tax fraud over decades. And we haven't talked like nobody's talking about that. But we're all talking about Elizabeth Warren's DNA test just Mm -hmm. shows why we're screwed as a society. I agree. Actually, they can't prove specific tribal <laughs> DNA. They can't do that. It's physically impossible. The best they could do was say that they included like Colombian and, and Peruvian and there was some some minor tiny bit of potentially Native American quote unquote uh, DNA in there. That's a perfect transition to our final topic. Please continue. <laughs> so, all right. So the, the boys put up with me and allowed me to have this last topic, which I also will agree is stupid. We've had a lot of stupid today. This one's so I like good, this though. One. So, so if you watch 60 Minutes this week. And Bill does every week. <laughs> that's right. 
I do. It's it's a heck of a program. He, he puts his Mister Rogers sweater oh, on. Oh, you just you know you make a cup, warm cup of tea and you turn on sixty minutes. It's just it just it's a screams for the meatloaf. Yes, and... that's right. So if you were watching sixty minutes, you might have noticed a painting hanging on the wall showing President Trump drinking a Diet Coke and entertaining Abraham Lincoln, Richard Nixon, uh, Teddy Roosevelt, Dwight Eisenhower, George W. Bush, and Ronald Reagan. Uh, so Trump liked this painting, he saw this, and liked it so much that he called the artist on the phone and put a print up in the White House. The painting is titled The Republican Club, and it is a souvenir shop staple by Andy Thomas. And now it's hanging in the White House. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. It's just a print? It's yeah. not even oh, the original? Yeah, yeah. no, it's, <laughs> it's a print. Real it's a print. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's, that's the best part, Phil. Uh. Yes. Uh, if you haven't seen it, you've got to. Just Google it. You know, we're going to post it. It'll be our image for the for the podcast this week. It's just weird. I mean, really, really weird. In the photo, Trump looks like he spent a lot of time in the gym and has never eaten a double filet fish in his life. Oh, God, it's, really I mean, it is. He looks, he looks strong and decisive. Um, <laughs> Phil, now, you minored, in addition to cosmetology, you also minored in psychology in college. What should we make of this beautiful piece of narcissism? <laughs> <laughs> Oh. I, I keep coming around to the fact that I, I I'm not a hundred percent sure on this, but I'm I, I'm pretty close to I, the 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 White House. The president has access to like tremendous amounts of art, like the yes. National Gallery and stuff, yes. right? Like yes. they can select pieces to be brought in. And this bastard put up <laughs> a print, like what? At least call the artist and get the original, right? right? right. Do you have I'm any just, sticky, sticky right. tack? I just need to put this up on the wall. The artist right probably here. would have painted another it's one like for a college him, right? dorm room. Probably there's, a whole, yeah. there's a whole series of these paintings that you know show them playing poker or playing pool or something <laughs> like that. I guess somebody was telling me that he did ones of Obama as well, maybe? I don't know if that's true or not. But anyway, it's, in, it's insane, right? The idea of... <laughs> seeing a painting of yourself and going i like that and the inclusion the the sort of uh, the the this list of like republican greats is really kind of an interesting <laughs> like the fact that like just leave just leave richard nixon out of the picture <laughs> he and was the, a great man what are you talking the, about for me the best part of the picture is so trump is i think trump if he's not sitting next to nixon it's like he's won over trump is sitting there with a diet coke Nixon has a glass of wine, right? Mm. I mean, just... Well, they all have their, their period-appropriate drinks. <laughs> right. Ronald Reagan, for whatever reason, has, like, some frilly, like, yeah. something with fruit in it. It looks like it looks like Hawaiian punch. Yes, yeah. <laughs> the, two, the two bushes in the, are in the back with their arms around each other. Yes. Right? It's just so cheesy. Oh, it's so bad. But it, you're right. <laughs> the fact that the president is like, that's good. Yeah. That's going up. We're framing that. It looks like something that you would find in a in a bar. Like, yeah. and it, it looks like if it, that you would find in Naperville somewhere. I think there's actually one that looks like that. Exactly. It's it's so. It's just that cheesy kind of '80s, kind of almost impressionist look to it. Everything's bright. It's it's just so bad. <laughs> And again, so it's fine. The artist—it's a print. I can't get over the fact that it's a print. <laughs> and it's fine. The artist does this. I'm glad that people, Republicans, whoever, sure. Trump fans, buy it. Absolutely, yep. put it up in your house, not in the White House. <laughs> so, oh God, oh. In heaven! I just, why? There was somebody else in there that was in the back. It almost looked like Gerald Ford. Oh, Gerald Ford is Gerald in, there. Ford's in there. Yeah, he's yeah. Yeah. I, mm, yep. all right. He's all got the his short sleeves. All the Republicans back to. I guess, is it just back to Ford? So you've got Bush, Bush, you've got Reagan, you've got Ford, and then it throws in Lincoln. And Teddy Roosevelt. <laughs> Teddy Roosevelt. That's yeah. 
<laughs> Teddy Roosevelt has like a little silver like Pim's cup thing or so it's it's the most it's just bizarre it is but I mean Trump stands out in his white shirt yeah. red tie I mean he is owning the room the hair is great everything is perfect yeah, everybody's what? watching them in the background yes. uh, <laughs> I didn't see the interview in the interview what where in the where is this like where did the interview take place like where was the where is this picture hanging <laughs> I you know I want to say they were I can't remember if it was when they were seated, seating, sitting or whether it was they were walking through a room. I can't remember. You know, it, it, it's, I don't know. We'll figure that out. Some if reporter seated, just... That, that adds, if, if it's like, if, if they decided to do a national TV interview and they thought, let's seat the president in front of this print, that like, that's like narcissism squared. Like, I'm going to hang the picture on the wall. But also, when we do the interview, I want to make sure that it's in the picture. That's a whole nother level. What is his presidential portrait going to look like? I can't it's wait for Andy, that. Andy Thomas is going to do it, right? <laughs> it's got to at this point. i probably just cut that out in that part of the picture. Um, that is an interesting question. That'll be fun. I fun can't wait. See. Oh, God, it's going to be great. Because he'll be there for four years. Sorry, guys. So I'm, I'm looking right now. It is they were standing and talking. It looks like I don't know. I don't know what room that is, Nick. But I don't know. Yeah, they're not. They're not sitting. Did the reporter just turn and go, "What the fuck is right, that?" Right. It's Leslie Stahl, <laughs> and they're sitting there, and like it's just to the left of them. It's yeah. it's it's bad. Uh, it's very bad. <laughs> Did so. you put that there to screw with me? Is uh, yeah. Just, it looks like an office space. It like does. There's, yeah. there's books and stuff. So yeah. Thanks, thanks, guys. Thanks for entertaining <laughs> on that one. That was that was oh, worthwhile. <laughs> so about my own speakers. I'm gonna stop that one. Um, anything else that we missed? No, speed round was fun. That was, that was actually fun. a lot of yeah. fun. I like that. Yeah. yeah, the half hour things are exhausting sometimes. If, if you if you like this format, tweet at us. Let us know. Absolutely. And do if you that. hated it, well, you're probably still not you're not listening anymore. But but if you are, let us know that as well. Yeah, do that. Yeah. I'll be glad to take care of you too. <laughs> um. Yeah, so follow us on Twitter uh, at Barstool Paul, uh, Facebook at Barstool Politics. Uh, beers that we try you can find on the Untapped app on iOS and Android so download that uh, we're just Barstool Politics on there the podcast uh, SoundCloud uh, Stitcher Google Play Music um, the vast majority of you guys are on iTunes so review us and uh, share us through there don't like us because you can't do that so if you're doing that you're doing something wrong um, and then predict it obviously if you guys weren't here at the beginning of the podcast or if you just like to hear me talk about it uh, predict it is a uh, real money uh, political prediction market uh, pretty much a stock market for politics where you can buy and sell shares in future political events uh, Barstool Politics listeners who use the promo link uh, when opening up a new account uh, will receive up to a $20 match on their first deposit so if you open up uh, a $20 account they'll match that $20 so you get $40 to use unpredicted which is great uh, so use the promo link predictit.org slash promo slash barstoolpaul20 and get some free money and have some fun betting on the uh, the dumpster fire that is uh, our democracy and then global politics as well. It's a lot of fun and depressing at the same time, but, but more fun than depressing. I, I think that's that's well said. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> keep that one. Um, anything else, guys? No, this is good. Great. We will see. Cheers. You. Cheers. <laughs>